Hey everyone, Jim Minnery here on a cold, snowy, October 12th, Wednesday. Uh, I'm not sure if you're one of those folks that are amped when the snow comes, but I'm not. <laughs> I used to be. I was born and raised here, uh, but it's it seems to come earlier and hit me harder every year that... Uh, I do like Alaska winters. I mean, I, I do some ice fishing and snow machining and skiing and, and all that stuff, playing outside with my kids. But, uh, man, oh, man, I'm not ready. Anyway, Jim Minnery here. And I'm glad you said that. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, on the show, we will have Dr. Mark Newcomb, who is the headmaster of Holy Rosary Academy. And... Uh, that's a school that has been ranked for the second year in in the in a row as the top private school in Alaska. He's a very impressive man, very impressive credentials. But as I wrote in my email about the show today, he's one of those guys that, you know, some people you sit down in a room and by the end of the conversation you you know that they're the smartest person in the room. Um, there are other people that you sit down and you know they're brilliant, but when you walk away, they kind of make you feel like the most brilliant person in the room. And uh, you know, I w- I, I'd like to think that I was, you know, that way. I'm probably not nearly as much as Mark is. Uh, anyway, he's a very humble, Christ-centered individual that has, um, you know, is taking this small private school in in uh, West Anchorage. To even higher levels, so I'm I'm very pleased and blessed and honored to have him on the uh, the show today. So stick around for that. Uh, it's going to be a fascinating discussion. I'm biased. I happen to have a senior. One of my kids goes to Holy Rosary Academy, and I'd be lying if I didn't say I love all the things that Holy Rosary has done for for my son. And uh, part of that is uh, him wandering around the house singing in Latin. Part of it is that he has just grown fascinated with the search for truth and the search for prudence and righteousness, and um, it's really it's really been a blessing to us as a family. And they are having a fundraiser. Um, it's a school that doesn't restrict itself to Catholics, doesn't even restrict itself to Christians uh, necessarily. So it's it's an outreach to the to the world. Um, they're having their annual gala this Saturday, and uh, you would be blessed to attend, I can promise you. Uh, it's always a really, really good attended, well-attended event. I think it's at the Marriott. I should know that. Go, go to Holy Rosary Academy uh, on Google, and you'll find it, and there'll be information there about the, the gala. It may be sold out. I don't think so quite yet. But anyway... Um, it will be a great conversation, and I hope you stick around for it. So we want to thank our friends always, uh, John and Sandy Powers. They're uh, a couple in the South Central area that has uh, invested in this program of sponsors, and we couldn't do it without them, and so always want to thank them. And uh, as always, I have my little monologue, my nine-minute monologue at the beginning. The reason why the show is called I'm Glad You Said That is because 
I like to listen to other people talk, and I'm always glad for the things that they are able to to bring to my attention and hopefully to yours as a listener in terms of um, the intersection of faith and politics and culture and uh, standing for truth and righteousness in this crazy world that we live in. Uh, one of the crazy things that's, that's uh, going on right now, as you know, are the elections. And I'd like to clarify something. We, we recently sent, or I sent out, an article about uh, Sarah Palin and her enthusiastic endorsement of the log cabin Republicans. And some people don't know this. I, I didn't realize that. I mean, when you're in the, when you're in the mix all the time, uh, you sometimes take things for granted that people know what rank the red means or, what, or who the log cabin Republicans are. The Log Cabin Republicans are a group of LGBTQIA plus members of the Republican Party who are supportive of the two legs, two out of the three legs that Ronald Reagan always identified so um, profoundly as the the formation or the, the essential nature of the Republican Conservative Party, which is uh, defense, national defense, um, solid conservative fiscal policy and social uh, policies related to issues of life and religious liberty and parental rights and right of conscience, all those kinds of things that uh, Alaska Family Council uh, focuses exclusively on. And so when she enthusiastically embraced the endorsement of the Log Cabin Republicans, I felt called to write about that and you know, in all honesty, there are board members of Alaska Family Council that are on opposite sides of the fence in terms of either voting for Nick Begich or and ranking Sarah second, or for uh, voting for Sarah Palin and ranking Nick second. The important thing is that we do one or the other, um, and that's something I thought was a little bit of a shock to me when I sent out the article. I had neglected initially to talk about ranking the red. I was just saying that. I thought it was very important, and still do, that uh, conservatives, and in particular uh, those who are Christ followers in the Republican Party, should be aware of the fact that she has enthusiastically embraced the endorsement of the log cabin Republicans. And obviously the log cabin Republicans um, are allies on many of the issues that you and I care deeply about, which is national defense and fiscal policy. They may even be, many of them, I believe, actually, in the log cabin Republican um, uh, community are pro-life. And so that's wonderful. The point of the article that I wrote, though, was that they have many beliefs. Obviously, the most prominent one is that they believe that kids don't need a mother and a father because, in their view, of course, same-sex marriage is the equivalent of traditional biblical heterosexual marriage. And it's not. And the, the scriptures have plenty to say about that. And I, I tried to, to craft the piece in a way that, um, you know, acknowledged that many of the things that Sarah Palin has said over the years and um, even the survey that she filled out for us that you can get at akvoter.com. That's our, uh, our resource that we provide to Alaskans regarding values voters. Um, but she had agreed with everything that we talked about regarding the, uh, the biblical sexuality issue and right of conscience issues and, and, uh, and that kind of thing related to the LGBT community. 
But in, in my view, uh, her embracement of the endorsement was um, ill-advised. Uh, I believe that she could have gra- graciously uh, declined the endorsement and said, you know, I appreciate the offer, but uh, it's just not something that I think is best for my campaign. Um, well, I'm with you on issues, on many issues, but because of your enthusiastic support of same-sex marriage and um, and transgender transitions and a lot of the different things, you know, they are opposed to counseling for those who have unwanted same-sex attractions and gender identity issues. So anyway, that that was uh, that was the purpose of the letter, and I wanted to clarify that and make sure that you do rank the red. That is uh, extremely important. Mary Peltola does not represent the views of Alaskans. She's pro-abortion and, and uh, as liberal as it gets, and so we have to rank either Sarah and Nick or Nick and Sarah. And uh, anyway, coming to the end here of this first segment, wanted to just pass that along to you. But very uh, grateful to have my friend Dr. Mark Newcomb on the show, and we'll be right back after this quick break here on I'm Glad You Said That. Hey everybody, welcome back. Jim Minnery here on I'm Glad You Said That. Really pleased to have Dr. Mark Newcomb. He's the headmaster of Holy Rosary Academy here in Anchorage. Mark, thanks so much for being on the show today. Oh, thank you so kindly for having me on. I really appreciate it. Well, we have a lot to go over, and as you'll realize, I tell everyone, um, it goes by a lot faster than I'd like, um, but we'll dive in right away. First of all, congratulations are in order because for the uh, second year in a row, uh, Anchorage's own Holy Rosary Academy has taken the honors as the top private school in Alaska. So uh, ex- exemplary of work, um, and thank you for for uh, what you do to make that happen. Oh, well, I wish I could claim the credit for it, but this is very much the accomplishment of our students and the amazing faculty cra- crew that we have here on, on deck. They are a remarkable group of people, and I'm just lucky to be able to work with them. Uh, and they're lucky to work with you as well. I've gotten to know you a little bit, and it's just been a, a real pleasure and um, cerebral, cerebrally rewarding um, to just, uh, you know, to realize. You're very uh, kind. Well, it's it's a it's a it's an unbelievable um, amount of intellect that is roaming those halls, not just in, in the in the teachers, but the kids as well. Um, I, as you know, have a senior there. This year, we'll be moving on in, in a, a short while, but uh, it's been a truly amazing uh, transformation since he's been to, um, to Holy Rosary. And I credit that to the staff and, of course, the kids and just the pursuit of excellence and truth. And before we dive into about some of the, the reasons why you guys are rated so highly, so consistently, how about the folks that are tuned in that uh, – that don't know who Mark Newcomb is. What uh, tell us a little bit about your journey that brought you eventually to uh, Anchorage, Alaska? Oh well, thank you kindly. Um, I grew up in rural Virginia, sort of a long line of uh, Virginia farmers, actually, 
and the first person in my family for umpteen generations to get past high school. So for me, I, I have to feel a, a special kinship for those children. They often refer to as first-generation college students, um, those children who are going to college and they have no one in their family that has been through this experience to guide or lead them in any way. So one of my deep commitments to education at every level I've ever been involved with is sort of uh, supporting those students, those first-generation college students. So. Um, that that's kind of near and dear to my heart. And part of that is um, I really kind of discovered classical education really when I got to college. And one of the wonderful moments of that, I remember as a, as a little boy um, coming back at the, the end of, I guess not, not so little, but thinking about it, I seem little to myself looking back, my first semester of college and thinking I've got a head full of Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. I'm like, what do I do with this in a place where I'm coming back home and getting ready to go on a hunting trip with my, my dad? Like, how do I make sense of all this? And it occurred to me that all of the things I had studied was about how one could become a man or woman of virtue. Uh, that was important to my grandparents, too. They didn't describe it the same way as Aristotle might. <laughs> they didn't describe it the way that, that Plato might. But the, the idea of living with integrity and living with honor and living in a way that you were trying to do the best for yourself and those around you, those were important values. And that integrated things for me, and it's always something I've held on to and been able to, to make sense of, of my, my work and my life in lots of different spheres and, and atmospheres and things. So that, that's been a, a uniting theme. I had the good fortune of studying a great college, Hampton City, in Virginia and went on to do some graduate work at uh, Duke University and then went on to finish uh, a, a master's degree, a second master's degree and a PhD at Fordham University. And I uh, had the great fortune of studying with Avery Dulles and Jeffrey Wainwright and David Steinmetz and some real giants in the field of church history uh, throughout that experience, which is just wonderful. Um, spent a lot of my time in college and university settings. I worked for a time at uh, Aquinas College in Nashville and went back to my alma mater for a while, served there as registrar, director of institutional research, and uh, spent some time uh, at University of uh, St. Mary in, um, in um, Newburgh, New York, where I was executive vice president. And at a certain point, uh, I kind of decided I really wanted to work with students who were younger and more malleable, so I took the headship of St. Teresa Catholic School in Sugarland, Texas, and I ran that for five years. We had some good, good successes there. We became a Blue Ribbon School and a Cardinal Newman School uh, and an uh, Institute of Catholic Liberal Education School, ICLE uh, School over that time. So really did some good things there. And uh, towards the end of my time there, kind of wrapping up our strategic plan, I was looking for a new challenge, and several people sent me a link to Holy Rosary Academy uh, and the headship here. And I thought, well, I grew up in Virginia and spent a lot of time in Texas. I'm not so sure about this climate. <laughs> but um, I put my things in, and within 24 hours I had a phone call from Sam Wolf, who's the chair of the board here, and I thought, if somebody's calling me from Anchorage, it can only be about one thing. I have to take this call. So my girls remember my pulling over to take that phone call from Sam Wolf. And the more we talked and the more I got to know about Holy Rosary, the more I realized that a lot of my experiences and a lot of the needs here at the school were a very, very good fit. And I just really felt like the Lord was calling me to be here. And I'm a big, big believer in being where the Lord wants me to be. So um, that's kind of the story of my coming to be here. It has certainly been a climate change from Houston, I'll have to tell you, in lots of ways. <laughs> well, and you have three daughters, all of whom are, are – we have uh, – yeah, three daughters – and That's right. were, they, were they very, uh, I'm guessing, hesitant about the uh, plans to head to the Great Land? Well, it's a fascinating thing. So I worried most for my oldest. So she is a senior this year, which means she was a junior last year when I started. 
um, and I really kind of worked for her socially and otherwise. And it, it turns out uh, coming to Holy Rosary is the best thing for them. So I hear from them frequently. This is one of the best environments they've been in. They really feel like the, the students here have been extremely welcoming to them. My middle girl um, is very much cut from, from Newcomb stock. So her big thing was if we're going to make a move, by goodness, let's make it an adventure. So she was <laughs> very, very excited about Alaska from the, uh, the start and came early with me to explore a few things and get things set up for the family. So that was great. And uh, my youngest has had a, a good time of it all, too. So the, the Lord really made this happen. I mean, one of the signs, I think, that we felt really called here is that so many things we worried about, housing or transportation or, you know, how everything would kind of work out logistically, the Lord just opened those doors and made it happen. And so that was a, a real signal to us that this is where we were meant to be. Wow. It's fascinating to me because, uh, you know, the the Catholic education um, in Alaska compared to, to many places, especially probably the, the uh, Northeast and, and Midwest. I mean, there's, there's my, my dad went to uh, Catholic schools growing up in Dayton, Ohio, and you hear about these, um, you know, colleges, of course, but also high schools and, and K through 12 schools that are, are deeply rooted in the history of the state. It's not necessarily that way here, but there are, um, I mean, in fact, the other, um, if I'm not mistaken, the other three in the order of ranking, uh, rounding up the top seven private schools in Alaska were other, also uh, Catholic schools, Lumen Christi, um, uh, who we compete against as, uh, as Holy Rosary and basketball and other things that my son plays, uh, and then the Catholic schools of Fairbanks. Um, and so it, it, there, there's a common theme there um, that – but yeah. the the part that distinguishes you guys from uh, and I'm not certain about Catholic schools of Fairbanks, but I'm pretty sure that your curriculum and your uh, your your method, and we'll we'll talk about that in terms of the trivium, are different than Lumen Christi and Catholic schools of Fairbanks. Is that right? That's my understanding. I think that one of the extremely important things here is that classical model that we use here. And, it, you know, it's a fundamental thing. I mean, one of the very important things to understand about the education we offer here is most um, places today, if it's a government school or even just often just a parish school, they're really kind of tightly tied to a lot of common core things and state standards and a lot of things that have come to be in the last so 10 or 12 years. And the unfortunate thing about that entire model is any system, and they, they know this well now in Massachusetts and things, systems that have invested themselves very heavily in common core and things like it have actually seen scores go down a great deal and preparedness for college and career go down, even though that's their big thing. Our preparation is a preparation for heaven. So the whole idea is that, you know, um, we'll, we're going to prepare students for life in this world and the life of the world to come. So both of those things are very important to us. The way the Greeks and Romans approached education was not about data or information first, and that's our mistake in modern times. We want to start with information. But to do that, you almost always have to rip that information out of its context. And so the, the terrible thing is kids maybe want it with a lot of facts, but they don't have a lot of context to make sense of things. Mm. The Greek and, Greek and Roman kind of approach is you begin with, with questions of character. And so one of those big questions is, you know, how do I live as a man or woman, a woman of, as a virtue, right? Um, how do I make choices that will make me a blessing to myself and those around me? Those are the fundamental questions because, frankly, you uh, can have all the information in the world. But if you're not concerned about your fellow man, all you've done is, is become somebody who can exploit others. And that, that was always just kind of a, a, a terrible proposition for the, for the uh, Greeks and Romans. So Cicero has a whole bit 
about everything coming back to trust. And I think that's a big, big part of that classical tradition is beginning in the concept of virtue and trust and understanding that information is great, but if it's not in context, it's not wisdom. So I say often this is an education for wisdom, and that means we need to know things, we need to know about things, but we also need to know the relationship between things, and that's hugely significant. So one of my daughters likes to say all the time, the difference is is, uh, is readily apparent in food preparation, right, often, that the, the idea that, um, what, that intelligence is knowing that a tomato is a fruit and wisdom is not putting it in the fruit salad. <laughs> I love that. Uh, I, I've always resisted even calling a tomato a fruit. It's like, sorry, no, you don't belong in this category. Uh, uh, I think it, it's identifying maybe as a fruit, but it's not a fruit. Um, and, right, right, right. Um, well, it, it's uh, – it, so just we, we have a minute before our next uh, – our first break. So just do a, a short 30-second on what the trivium is, and um, and then we'll uh, dive into it after the break. Yes. So trivium is an approach to education rooted in ancient Greek and Roman thought, and the idea is that one studies logic, grammar, and rhetoric, right? So the structure of thought the structure of language, and then how to pull all that together to appeal to or attract another person. Wow. It's it's amazing to have uh, one of uh, the seniors at Holy Rosary wandering around my uh, my house, and the kinds of thoughts that go through his head are constantly uh, reminding me of how blessed we are that we have him there because he's just really thinking things through on such a level that I don't, I don't even know if I'm still, if I'm there yet, and much less was I there when I was in my teens. So it's just, it's stunning and it's wonderful. And folks, we're talking with uh, Dr. Mark Newcomb, headmaster at Holy Rosary Academy. We'll, we'll be right back after this short break. Welcome back. I was chatting with my friend, Dr. Newcomb. Uh, Mark is uh, the headmaster at Holy Rosary Academy, recently um, ranked number one among private um, schools in Alaska. We'll talk about the trivium here first, and then I, I want to dive into what separates, uh, obviously, the curriculum and I think probably the level of education from your staff is a huge part of what separates you from um, from public government schools. But there's a there's a, a lot to talk about and unwrap in terms of what's gone awry with uh, public school and how different it is than when it was established um, so long ago. So let's let's first dive into um, the trivium. I know that uh, your website. I'm just read this here. It says, um, well, yeah, this is from Joel uh, Davidson's um, Watchman article about it, and it says. Teachers employ the basic tools of the trivium, a course of study that follows the three-lane path of grammar, logic, and rhetoric derived from the classical Greek system of education. So for those who, who would say, you know what, that's, uh, that, that kind of um, thinking is something that we need to get rid of so that we can be woke. Um, I, I can just hear it now, people saying that is so outdated, probably patriarchal, more than likely um, you know, phobic on multiple different levels. Um, so uh, how do you defend teaching the trivium for today's kids? Outstanding. It's great. It's a great question. So thank you for asking. I think the first thing to realize, it's a very curious thing, right, 
is that when you think about the roots of classical education, you're talking about cultures as diverse and as spread out in time as the Greeks, the Romans, uh, the Hebrew peoples, right, and everything that came through the Bible. So you're talking about a, a vast expanse of human experience over time. And what accumulated out of all those experiences was this idea of holding on to the best of things over time. So I, I think um, there's a tendency maybe sometimes to think of this in very limited terms, but we're talking about vast swaths of cultural experience over time in lots of different places and ways. So I think what tends to happen is this, this notion that the Western tradition is somehow narrow, and anything, if anything, it's extremely broad. It was the, in Westerners that went out to explore parts of the world and to learn from different cultures and to have encounters with the Far East and learn from those things and everything from food and, and, and uh, philosophy to everything else. So it is very uh, outwardly turned. It's not an inwardly turned tradition. I think it's one of the first mistakes people make. In terms of the, the actual structure of it, it really just comes comes down to whether you think it is valuable to have students who can read well, write well, think well, and speak well. And everything in this curriculum is designed to make sure that happens. So I say often it, it may be wrong, but it's not uh, accidental. Everything here is very deliberate in terms of its structure. So with grammar, one studies the structure of speech, and that's just simply a way that humans articulate, they assemble ideas into meaning to share with one another. That's just a fundamental good. Being able to do that, no matter what your political persuasions or what your intent is, is just extremely helpful. Logic and the ability to be, to be able to put uh, ideas together in a cogent way, an attractive way, a coherent way, an ordered way, that'll serve you well no matter what you do in life. And I think rhetoric, the idea of pulling together grammar and logic in ways that contemplate the other, right? What's different in, in rhetoric versus, say, just composition is composition is usually when kids are asked to write about things in a composition class, it's what are your thoughts, what are your feelings, what do you think, and you say track back on the self. But in rhetoric, you always begin by asking, who is my audience? Is it a group of veterans? Is it a group of, of ladies at a tea party? Who am I trying to appeal to? What interests them? So there is an implicit assumption of an other with which you're in dialogue. So it broadens the human soul because you're never trapped back just on the self and what I think or what I feel. So those are some of the impulses in it. The great thing is this was an education designed for free men and free women in ancient times. And the great thing is it continues to free people today, right? So the libertas, liber liberty, comes to us in English, and that's the liberal and liberal arts. It's not a political thing. It's a, it, it transcends politics. But the idea is it's, it's freeing. And what students are freed from today, they don't necessarily have the same oppression in structures and society that were known to people in the ancient world. But we can be very much uh, um, but, um, bound or in bondage to our selfishness, and we can be bound or in bondage to being in, too inwardly turned and not turning out towards the other. So this education continues to liberate students, which is, is a beautiful thing to behold. One of the ways it does that is we do little recitations, even from the time the kids are very small. They're learning short poems, and they're delivering those in front of their classmates, and they're very comfortable with public speaking long before they're 14, and they think the whole world is looking just at their hair. I tell my girls all the time that's not happening. They don't believe me, but it's true. So. <laughs> well, it's interesting that uh... – you know the the whole external internal mindset has you know been amped up on steroids in 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 the the last decade really in terms of not even really being a, I was hearing someone describe it uh yesterday on some show that basically said the whole transgender movement in many ways is a reflection of what our culture 
um, is dealing with in the last decade in terms of growing up with uh, a, a computer in front of your face um, 24-7 and being able to create an alternate reality, whether it's a, you know, um, it's a video game that you're playing or, you know, if it's a, you know, some other way of, uh, of presenting yourself to uh, a, 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 an unreal world because it's all um, virtual reality. And so it seems that now more than ever to be able to have a mindset of others oriented um, and thinking about people um, as they are rather than maybe how you want them to be or, you know, creating these places. And I understand that, you know, for some kids and, and, and adults, I'm sure as well, that there, there's an advantage to uh, being in these uh, communities online that that you don't have to have one on one contact with. But I, I appreciate that so much about your school. I was asking uh, my son the other day about something. I think he was going to, I said, you should take a picture of this one thing or the other that he was going to do at Holy Rosary. And he's like, well, no, no, you, you remember that. We don't have our phones. We turn them in at the beginning of the class. Um, at the beginning of school. And I said, oh, that's right. And I, I just, I'm so grateful for that because I can only imagine, I, you know, I walk into a public school today and I know that you'll see a lot of kids just sitting there on their phones, probably during class, um, much less, you know, not having to turn it in at the beginning of school. But so what would you, what would you say to those, uh, those parents out there who hear about these schools like Holy Rosary that do so well, you know, with, a um, you know, with SATs averaging 1250 and, um, and all of these wonderful colleges and universities that they're getting into. And it's the same as, at, at some of the other schools. And, you know, we've had a lot of experience in our family with Grace, um, or Grace Christian School, and, and they have the same kind of thing. It's kind of like a college prep school, but there's the, the vast majority of kids cannot access that. Um, it's one of the things that we do at Alaska Family Council, um, and we're hoping to do through a constitutional convention is to open up more school choice for individuals. But it seems that the vast majority of people would say, I just can't afford that. I can't create um, that margin in my life to be able to get my kid to a school like Holy Rosary. What do you say to them? Very good. Well, I have several things I think that are very important you know, among the things you've touched on. I think you're right. Living in a in a cyber age, I think, persuades people that real life is just picking the right avatar, right? And they just kind of mix it up and, and move right. in there. And I think we've created a, a generation of narcissists by having them stuck in these magic boxes of light that actually bring a lot of poison through them too. So Amen. our motto here at Holy Rosary is we are personally present, right? Jesus Christ was personally present to the apostles. He is personally present to us in the Eucharist, and we are personally present to each other. So I greet every student every morning by name at the front gate uh, and welcome them and ask them how they're doing. And sometimes I have a silly question. Uh, it might involve Bigfoot. It might involve something else. <laughs> and um, so we get, their, get them thinking early in the morning. But that, that idea of personal presence is hugely important to us. And then you know, right behind that, another big part of life here is the study of classical languages. So all of our students study Latin. Many of them will study Latin and Greek. It turns out a student that studies a classical language will do between 12 and 15 percentage points higher on a standardized test. And it's not that the, the te that test, uh, excuse me, the test is not in Latin, it's not in Greek. It's simply that classical languages are much more complicated in terms of the grammatical structures. So a student who's studying Latin or Greek is expanding their simultaneous thinking capacity. It's a very yeah. interesting phenomenon. 
the fact that you've got nouns that decline and you've got very particular forms for how verbs behave and how certain constructions work, you're pushing the mind to be able to think about more things simultaneously, and that is a lifelong benefit. So that's a part of the, the, the magic that is Holy Rosary, is that study of classical languages. It's very, very important. But this does not need to be out of the reach of anybody. Um, we are an approved vendor for uh, academic services through uh, Matsu, which is one of the, the um, allotment affiliation uh, partnerships we have, and also through um, family partnership um, charter school here in town. So there are ways, uh, if you uh, complete uh, your your paperwork and your forms and things, where you want it being able to apply some of the allotment funds that you've paid into the government school system that can be applied to your uh, educational services through Holy Rosary. So that's very helpful for families to know. And if you don't know about that, you'd like to know more about that, um, if folks want to reach out to the school, we can, we can make sure you've got more understanding of it. But this kind of education, it's excellent. It's not elitist. It's, it's within the reach of everyone, and it does wonders for students at any level. Well, I've seen that, and I, I appreciate so much the diversity um, when I go to, to Holy Rosary in the student body, um, you know, Absolutely. ethnically um, and economically. It's just a, a very diverse yeah. community, and I love that about Holy Rosary. Folks, we're talking with Dr. Mark Newcomb, the headmaster at Holy Rosary. We'll be right back after this short break. Mark Newcomb, he is the headmaster at Holy Rosary Academy, uh, an, an organization that for two years running now has uh, taken the wonderful um, honors of top private school in Alaska. And, you know, that's rated by a, a lot of different things. But um, Nietzsche, I think, is the – or maybe it's Nietzsche. I'm not sure um, uh, the, the group. But in ranking schools, Nietzsche provides uh, a detailed analysis of each school uh, in regards to this ranking and it has everything to do with, um, you know, SAT scores, ACT scores, college students, um, the, the colleges that students are most interested in, college enrollment, culture and diversity, student-teacher ratio, and parent and student surveys. Um, so we talked about diversity right before the um, break. What are your thoughts on that, and why is that so important to the Catholic um, education experience? Well, I think that's I think that is exactly what makes this sort of education anything but narrow or myopic or phobic or whatever else. Catholicity, right? The church is a single unbroken institution from ancient times and spans the entire globe. So there's one great signifier of that at Holy Rosary Academy. We do a living rosary every feast of Our Lady of the Rosary. That is tomorrow. On that uh, event, we will gather and say a rosary together. The Our Father prayers will be offered in Yoruba. Latin, Greek, French, and Spanish. And wow. it's a great testament. These are just our, our families, uh, and some of the prayers also be in Russian. We have families here that represent all of those traditions, and uh, our students will just stand and recite those things live. It's a great, great testament to just how deep and broad the reach of the, the Catholic intellectual tradition is. And we're just lucky to have so much of its richness right here in our midst at Holy Rosary in Anchorage. Mm. And so there's that's leading up to um, an event that I've been a part of for a few years, even prior to my son going to Holy Rosary. I have a lot of good friends and uh, colleagues that have invited me, fortunately, to the Holy Rosary galas that have taken place, the dinners over the years. And what uh, what an experience that is, especially when you see the kids 
um, you know, wandering around, um, serving and blessing people at the tables. Tell us about the upcoming dinner for uh, folks who want to maybe get a taste of Holy Rosary. They can do that um, simply by, um, by finding more out about this dinner. Fantastic. So anybody that would like to be a part of this and to learn more about what we are and what we're about, uh, please uh, think about coming out to be a part of our annual gala auction. It's going to be at the Marriott in Anchorage on Saturday, the 15th of October. Cocktail hour starts at 5.30. It is a big one. This is our 30th year. So wow. Rosary has roots to go back to 1987, and this is our 30th gala auction. It's a really wonderful opportunity to support the families and the students we serve here. We are um, really blessed to have such a strong representation of the community. Uh, the mayor will be there uh, and many of the families that are movers and shakers in Anchorage and have been for a long time. Holy Rosary's roots go, go way back. We actually were founded by members of the Hickel family. And so, you know, Wally Hickel was uh, Secretary of the Interior under Nixon. And um, so we, we've got a lot of, of good things going for us. And a big part of that is the support of some really long-established families here in Anchorage that really accomplished a great deal, both uh, locally and at the state level and also nationally. So these, these are great, great things. And we have good friends in lots of places, and there are lots of interesting people to meet. So come out and see us. Our theme this year is in fair Verona so if you find yourself inclined to be either Capulet or Montague you can come out and join us we've got a little homage to Shakespeare uh, happening this time around and we're just delighted about it so Wow, and that is going to be sold out probably like it normally is. So I would go ahead and get your tickets. That's at um, Holy Rosary. Actually, um, you need to tell me that uh, website because um, I don't have it yeah, pulled up right now. Our website, you can find out all about it. That's right. So www.hraak.org. www.h is in Harold, A is in Arnold, R is in Robert, aak.org. Okay. Okay. That's wonderful. Well, we only have a few minutes remaining. I want to, there's much more that I'd love to chat about, but the one of the, I told myself I was going to have you um, explain to people because I've had that, I've had the conversation with my son. I've had that conversation with my uh, wife and, and others over the years about the uh, uniforms. Of course, people are going to say, oh my gosh, it's patriarchal or oh my gosh, it's um, <laughs> sexist or oh my gosh. It, it's amazing, though, but you know, because we live in a um, in a, a world where upside down is right side up, and um, yeah. so so give give the folks who can can't imagine kids having to wear the same thing. Right. I can tell you one thing: it's it's certainly been an easier uh, easier <laughs> life for my son having to choose and not having to yeah, worry about what no. he's going to wear. But it goes so far beyond that. Exactly. No, it's a great blessing to us that we have uniforms here. And I think that touches on several things, as you're right. It's very easy in the morning. You know, some of my, my girls, actually, before we were in a school that had uniforms, would spend a lot of time in the morning figuring out, well, what do I wear? That's a very simple matter as it goes. But one of the big reasons we have uniforms here at Holy Rosary Academy is we want to communicate to students that your value, your distinctiveness, what makes you a unique person as made in the image and likeness of God is not contingent upon what you wear. It is not focused on how you attire yourself. All your unique humanity transcends by far anything you put on your person. And so that that's a large part of it. And then I think another part of it is we want to, really want to impress upon our students that in life, whether it's fair or not, people will treat you differently based on how you present yourself. So to the extent that you're here and in a uniform, you are communicating that you are serious about your own role in your education. 
you're serious yep. about the enterprise of learning together and being a part of this community of faith and laughter and learning. And the great thing is that our faculty and staff dress to that. So we don't just sort of insist the kids turn up here in uniforms and then we're in like jeans and flip-flops. We, we match that. So the men are in jackets and ties and the ladies are in dresses and skirts. And we take very seriously meeting the students where they are in communicating that we're here for a serious purpose and a deep purpose. And that begins mm. with how we present ourselves. Yeah, it's it's one of the things that I I go back and forth between being so grateful and also um, you know uh, discouraged a bit because I see the the rapid decline of uh, public government run schools. I grew up in Anchorage and went to Lake Otis Elementary, Winler Junior High, and East High School, and I was proud of each one that we had multiple kids in our class. Um, of 1983 that went on to, to Ivy League schools and did really well. We had wonderful AP classes. I don't know if that's still the case now or not, but what we do know is that there has been just this whirlwind of indoctrination that seems to be just coming at us uh, with a, you know, a hurricane like what's, what's happening in Western Alaska. It's happening in our schools. Um, and I don't know uh, how to stop that other than to expand school choice for Alaskans. I, I do believe that we can't continue or that we can't fully abandon the public schools because, I mean, there, there, as you know, there are Catholics, there's, uh, there, there's Protestants, there's believing individuals who are in the public school system. I know many of them, and it's almost like, a, or it is, a ministry for them. It's like a being on mission. Yes. They don't have to go to the Honduras or to Zimbabwe. They just go to uh, Wendler Junior High School, and they, they try to be light and yes. salt in that environment. But you know, like I, I had a friend that uh, my daughter went out of public school or private school for one season into public school. And he said, um, you know, I, I think I said something like, well, I just, you know, she's been talking about it for a long time. I just want to get her, let her to have a taste of it so that she sees how uh, much of a benefit it is for her to be at a private school. And he oh, said, oh, that's a good right, idea. Yeah. I mean, if you want to sacrifice sure. your daughter on the altar of public education, you know, that wouldn't be for me. But I'm like, oh, thanks for the guilt trip. But, of course, as soon as she went there, she said, you know, that was the worst decision she ever made was to leave um, to leave Grace. But um, uh, so just before, our last two minutes here, what, you know, is your view that uh, there needs to be significant expansion of school choice in Alaska? It's one of the things that we've talked about on this show and, and with as ministry for a while. But what do you see um, as a way to get more kids out of that indoctrination environment that's happening so quickly in, in public school? No, I think it's vitally important that we make it possible for parents to use the funds they pay into education and apply them to the sort of education they want. It's a very strange notion to think that you're taxed for a service that you wouldn't use if you had some preference otherwise. And so right. I think I think it's a very strange notion of liberty. I think it's a failure on the part of creativity and government. I can check a box indicating whether I want some of my tax funds to go into advertisement for uh, politicians, but I somehow can't make that turn in terms of, of where my money goes that I'm paying into the educational system. That strikes me as very strange. Wow. Yeah, it's it's. Uh... I don't know um, exactly what our strategy is as an organization, as a state. I mean, I do see some uh, school choice, school voucher movements in other states yes. that have really taken off and um, some unique programs in Ohio. They're turning churches uh, that are, are empty most of the week into schools because parents are just saying, we cannot do this. We cannot keep our kids in the school if they're going to continue to push so hard 
on these gender ideology things and CRT and and then the the, the math and, and basic skills are are, are plummeting. So. Um, Mark, I just want to uh, thank you. We, we're coming to the end here, and I, I, it always happens too fast. I can tell you that, um, you know, you're smart. You're, you're one of the smartest guys I know, and you also make people smart around you feel smart because you're such a good guy. And I just can't thank you enough for being on the show today and all that you do for this community and state. You, you are far too kind. Thank you very much for the opportunity to talk a little bit about the accomplishments of our faculty and our students, and I'm just delighted to be able to be a part of this organization and the good things we're trying to do here in Anchorage. Amen, guys. We'll go to uh, Holy Rosary and look up the um, the gala. We'll be back next week, and I'm glad you said that. So God bless you. Until next time, take care.